0: Joining me back on the program today is Peter Lavelle, the host of Crosstalk on RT. The last time we did a show, it was quite popular. Why do you think that kept getting reposted over and over again? people sick of the mass media?
1: Look, maybe, Maybe because people just want to hear the truth. That's what I think.
0: Well, I see from a lot of comments people just want to hear two people who know what they're talking about having a discussion about politics because it's so rare to get that in the mainstream media. Western media is basically garbage. People... Yelling catchphrases and literally reading teleprompters and reissuing talking points over and over again uniformly—it's just disgusting. And people aren't that stupid; they see through it.
1: I think it's interesting what you just said is what I, the most common thing I heard. It's nice to hear. It's not was nice to listen to two people knew who two people that knew what they were talking about because you and I both know you, you watch the cable network news and it just. They know These people know everything about everything. That's amazing, and you're always wrong. It's extraordinary.
0: Well, today should be just as popular as before.
1: It was very popular. We covered a lot of ground, but I think, we, uh, if I remember correctly, we spent most of our time on Ukraine, and I think we'll do that again today. Um, uh, I was doing a recording on Ukraine on Thursday uh, this, uh, this past week, and uh, we left the studio, and uh, my crew said, "Have you seen the news?" And I said, "Which news?" And I said, "Well, Western news." And I said, "No. What happened?" They said, "Russia invaded U- Ukraine." And I said, "What?" And <laughs> everybody's looking at each other, scratching their heads, like, "What?" And uh, it was just again, it, it, you know, it, it's to the point of
0: depressing
1: here. Depressing is, it, is everything is just made out of uh, out of thin air. I've never seen a story like it.
0: Oh, I've seen stories like it. I remember CNN doing a report on Iraq from Florida claiming to be in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> 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 ten guys have invaded Ukraine. Russia is invading because ten men were picked up on the unmarked border between the two countries. That has to constitute an invasion, Peter. Everyone knows you launched your first strike capacity with ten people. You
1: know, like, let's be clear. Let's be clear, about t- let's be clear about those ten guys and other guys. Um, you know, it's, Think about it logically. This is a country that is collapsing. Its, it's uh, uh, social order is collapsing. Its military order is in a disastrous uh, situation. It's incumbent upon Russia to have eyes and ears on the ground uh, in a neighboring country that is going into collapse. Right? And when these, gent- these um, soldiers were apprehended, you know what the first thing they did? They pulled out their ID card and they presented it. They were not fighting. They weren't shooting anything. They were looking around, and that's perfectly normal um, in a, in, a, in a situation like this. They were not involved in hostilities, and there's with all of the military technology and all the intelligence technology, they can't produce one photograph of these allegations. Not one photograph. They have these commercial um, satellites up in the air that uh, produce these grainy little pictures that uh, s- say nothing. It's remarkable that NATO is using these grainy little pictures from a commercial outfit saying this is evidence of an invasion. It's ludicrous.
0: What I don't understand is this is the boy who cried wolf. Every time they come up with some massive scary claim like Rush- the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming, it gets debunked. And month after month, they've been proven to lie over and over again. Not just be mistaken, but just outright lie. They can't even fabricate evidence for their claims.
1: the The, the sad thing is here is that the the echo chamber in the West and the and the uh, empty minds in the halls of power. They, they don't. They're not looking at this logically. Number one, they're trusting everything the Kiev regime says, which the Kiev regime, going all the way back to February, you know. Every step of the way, pathological liars. Pathological liars. It's hard to trust anything they say. Number two, if Russia had wanted to invade Ukraine, it could have easily done that a long time ago and been successful, at least militarily. Now, would there have been people on the ground that perceived it as an occupation? Of course, there would, uh, would be. And that's one of the primary reasons why Russia hasn't intervened uh, on a uh, right to protect doctrine, uh, because they still know. That in these areas, that there, it's still, uh, it's not a hundred percent Russian. It's not even sometimes twenty percent Russian. It's, it's real mixture in the east. And there's ethnic cleansing going on now. It's getting less and less Russian. Um, we're looking at a, about a, close to a million refugees now, which is never a million people. Imagine that a million people have been displaced.
0: Well, in the little reporting that was done on that, the Western media claimed that. Oh, those million people, they're just visiting their families, all of them.
1: That is just extraordinary. It is extraordinary. As I was uh, at a meeting with a a good colleague of mine yesterday, and we were sitting having coffee, and I said to him, I said, look at these buildings around us. These are exactly the kinds of buildings that are a few hundred miles away from us that are being um, bombed by planes and missiles. The, The architecture is the same, the same type of people live there, and no one is talking about it in the West. It is really catastrophic um, from a moral point of view. And, okay, and, and we go back one more, one more third reason. Russia is not interested in the geographical location of the Donbas, which is known as uh, of the regions of East Ukraine. It's a humanitarian issue that Russia has been most primarily interested in. Um, however, if we uh, go down the path of the, the junta in Kiev that was going to push for NATO membership, then we get into a truly catastrophic security situation. Uh, Russia has very few red lines in its foreign policy. But NATO membership for Ukraine would be one, and uh, then we're into a very different ballgame and a very dangerous one. Um, I hope it's just rhetoric coming out of uh, Kiev right now. But we do have a meeting of uh, NATO coming up uh, on, what on the 5th of uh, of September, so we'll see where that goes.
0: Normally, NATO wouldn't add countries that are in the middle of a conflict. That would just be asking for it, right?
1: Well, it would be against NATO's charter. But we we both know and our listeners know that that doesn't stop particularly the United States from breaking international law and breaking its own rules. If you look carefully at the charter of NATO, they're not supposed to do that. But they just may fiddle with it, okay? And we are hearing that uh, uh, some NATO countries, the European countries, are going to put together a 10,000-member um, uh, um, quick reaction force or something like that. You know, if it goes, if it stations those troops in in, in uh, Ukraine again, it's going to be a very serious red line. I think if you know, if you look backwards from the crisis that started in uh, February all the way to the present, the Russian side. The Russian foreign ministry and the Russian president, their words and actions reflect the same thing. It doesn't come out of Washington and certainly out of Kiev. So when they say this is a very serious thing and don't do it, it should be listened to.
0: Do you think it's necessary for Poroshenko to say Russia, Russia, Russia over and over again and paint this like it's just ethnic Russians versus the state? Because without being able to point the finger at Russia, be- See, I think they've painted this whole situation the wrong way. There are plenty of people in Ukraine who are not ethnic Russians who are rebelling because they don't want to live under another oligarch that's 15 billion euros in debt.
1: Absolutely.
0: So might it not then be necessary that they have to blame Russia? Otherwise, they can't explain why there's such a popular uprising against the oligarchical government which was selected and imposed from outside nobody would want to live under such a regime
1: it's really interesting is because what the parashenko regime the junta in kiev they do not want to admit and washington will not admit that this is a civil war that's being played out see if if they, they say no it's it's russia's fault if russia would just back off and do this and do that then everything will be peaceful in eastern ukraine which is nonsense absolute nonsense um, you know, people on this side of the border in Russia, a lot of people are disappointed that Russia hasn't done a lot more. Um, I believe that Putin has a plan; it's a long-term plan um, where there will be decentralization and federalization of Ukraine. But you're absolutely right. Poroshenko is lost. See, a few days ago, they had an independence parade in Kiev, and it was supposed to mark the end of the civil war, the the, the marking the success. Of the junta uh, throughout of Ukraine, and you know what? They spent their last pennies on that parade because they're broke. They have no money, and they and they spent their money on this ridiculous parade, which was supposed to be a victory parade for Poroshenko and the junta. And it didn't work out that way. as you know, as a matter of fact, it, nothing there is working out as planned. Victoria Newland. It's just really one crazy uh, strategist because this was a dumb idea in the beginning. and It's, it's just cascading into one big clusterfuck for the U.S. and for uh, uh, Europe. And luckily, average uh, uh, European uh, vegetable and, and fruit uh, producer, I mean, w- what did they do? Who, who, who do they care about? Do they care about Ukraine? They care about their markets. And there's great consumers here. I mean, the Cascade Effect is extraordinary. It was never thought out.
0: This was not a popular uprising by any means. It was pushed on from the outside. You've got a bunch of billionaires and their NGOs playing around with Ukraine like it's just a playground or something for them, manipulating energy and agriculture and different resources. And they don't care about the populace at all. Not at all. They're supporting neo-Nazis even can ukraine really recover and heal after this or has too much damage already been done well
1: the, the the thing is is what's going to happen is that you know ukraine as a country as it was a year ago never it will never be the same you if the if hostilities ended today ukraine is still a very very different place it's going to be impossible for the folks of the east you know if you, i i know these countries really well and spent Most of my life in Slavic countries, in Poland, in Russia, um, there's a long memory here, you bombed my building, you took away my job, because I speak Russian, or because I was born of Russian parents, you did that to me. There's no forgiveness for that for a long time because these people, they didn't have a very strong identity about Ukraine or about Russia. Their identity was, we're from here. We're locals. Everything has changed now. Now they have a great sense of Russian pride and they know their Russian heritage. Perushenko and the junta did that. Before that, we, there was a, a, a phrase for them. They were Soviet people. They didn't have any particular you know, orientation, because they they were kind of a, a mistake or an oversight of the Soviet Union that so many millions of Russians ended up on that side of the border. That's all changed right now. And your point about the NGOs and, you know, this is just God's playground for them. Well, it's just turned into, it's turning into one big cemetery. And it's, again, comes all the way from Brussels and Washington. I cannot emphasize enough how artificial this crisis is. But it's a crisis that has consequences that will be with us for a long time.
0: Could things escalate, or are they going to maintain the status quo level of violence they think they can control? I,
1: I think it's going to simmer. I think it's going to simmer for a long time. And, you know, they, again, Western media doesn't want to talk about it, but this is turning into a magnet for people that want to, you know, these weekend warriors or whatever on both sides. Um, I saw a very interesting report about how some French you know a, a few dozen french um, men armed have made their way to the donbass and then you have these swedish nazis working for the the Honta. this is this is really getting to be insane here because it's turning into a huge proxy war and i think what's going to happen is, is that um, when um, the us really wants to uh Separate Europe from Russia, but at the end of the day, that Russia and Europe—they really need each other for at least trade Uh, values. I think the two are going in very different directions, but for practical things, I think that you know Merkel and others are going to say, "No, we can't go any further down this path here." And there's there's going to be a lot of pressure on them from Washington, from the Newland people. I think, as we said, my our, our last chat here. Victoria Newland—they got about two years to wrap this thing up. Their whole agenda with ISIS, with Ukraine, um, uh, and, and Syria, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, they may not have the same kind of clout in Washington they do not, that they have now, because you know Obama is just an A-wall president when it comes to foreign policy. I mean, he does he doesn't—he—it it doesn't even make any sense when he's reading the teleprompter. Uh, he, he, he's completely unbelievable. Um, so they need to wrap this up quickly. And for Ukraine, they don't have any solutions. They're in panic mode. That's why they keep saying invasion, invasion, invasion. That's the default position when they don't know what to do.
0: Well, they've got a lot of money and supposedly a bunch of smart guys. They, they, they went to school. I don't know if they just paid for their diplomas or what. But you think, can't they come up with better rhetoric than this than saying the russians are coming it's an invasion every day because what happens tomorrow when of course there was no invasion and they do that two three times in a row what's the matter with them they can't even get a good lie going
1: well it's it's (laughs) i don't know i mean i I always feel in my life that I didn't read enough fiction. I've always been a nonfiction guy I liked history and philosophy and stuff like that. But I guess I have my opportunity to make up for my loss of uh, fiction. Just watch CNN because that's all you get is this, the echo chamber. Um, just, it, it's,
0: it, if you want to catch up on your fiction, I suggest maybe the New York times. I hear that's a good one.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, is that if you look at you have now, you have the uh, anti-Kiev resistance on the ground. Um, they're getting stronger and stronger, they're getting more and more experienced, their confidence is high, their morale is high. Um, there's a, they're getting a lot of their equipment from the Ukrainian army in retreat or in disarray. You know, the, In this part of the world, you know, stowing away, hiding away arms is not that hard. OK, there's been a long history of that from the 1950s. The Vendetta people were doing that in the 50s until they were completely wiped out. And, you know, this is like uh, seven, eight years after the Second World War ended, and they were still fighting them. So there's a tradition in this part of the world here. The, this equipment, Russia, does it, some of it come from Russia? Yes, it does. It's, I call them the lords of war. There are people making money hand over fist on this. They always do on both sides. Let's not kid ourselves. On both
0: sides. Yes, during the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a huge black market on weapons trade because that's one thing they had already spent money on and it physically existed as hardware. And so there was a lot of black market, again, coming from the oligarchs selling them to the highest bidders after the ruble overhang. The currency was worthless, so they were bargaining and trading and getting rid of armored vehicles and everything else. So that stuff is all over the place and it's not hard to hide. But a lot of it's obsolete. It's from the 50s. My favorite story this week was taking out an entire Russian column in the middle of the night and they took the babies off the incubators and they threw them on the cold floor.
1: <laughs> uh, well, you know, I have not seen... It's our job to watch what's going on, to read what's being uh, written about. I mean, I, I haven't seen one photograph of that, and these two gentlemen, what was it, um, uh, Mr. Oliphant and Mr. Walker? I mean, I know both of them personally, and I, I have to really wonder what's going through their mind when they would re- be writing these stories. When when you have GPS and you have everything else, and you can figure out they're not telling the truth. I was really hurt. I, I know that they have their own agenda. That's fine. I have my agenda. Okay, but it coming to the conclusion, the two people that I know working in media openly lied, that's really painful because, you know, we have to, I stick to the truth, that's what makes my job so hard because no one gets to hear the truth in Western media about these topics. So, you know, when there are two people that...
0: But well, usually the American neocons are a little bit better with their lies than what Kiev has been doing. The neocon strategy, normally the process is to make the other side have to prove a negative, which is a logical fallacy. So they'll say, prove you're not doing X, and of course, that cannot be done and never satisfied. But Kiev's lies have been very low level because they've been saying things that are provably debunkable. That are demonstrably false. Like, for example, when they say, we knocked out an entire Russian column at night with artillery from the 50s. The first thing you got to ask is, okay, well, where's the carnage? Where are the blown up pieces of machines and things? You didn't just evaporate them. So if you took out this column, where's the column?
1: Yeah, but no one asked them that question. Only you and I would ask those questions. Yeah, because CNN, CNN will say, yeah, they'll just say, well, the, the, the Kiev government uh, uh, said that, and that uh, must be true because the Kiev government said it. I mean, it, it gets self-referential. It's just ridiculous.
0: But don't they know that their lie is going to be debunked? Have they no shame? They just figure they can move on to the next one and people will forget the original one? They've been doing it over and over again. Where is the carnage? Where is the forensic evidence?
1: Well, where is the... What's the evidence for the Malaysian aircraft? What's the only country in the world continuing to say we want the evidence? Where is the forensic evidence? It's Russia. Russia is conti- go to their foreign ministry for a website. They continue to ask questions: Why the authorities in Britain uh, are not releasing more information? Why the Ukrainians, after all this time, have not released any of the data that they have about communication between the pilot and the and in the, in the tower and Kiev? That evidence exists, but
0: it won't be. I think there's guilt in the silence because we know they have forensic evidence. There's no way they weren't monitoring the skies that night. And yet they won't tell us or show us any of that evidence. And that pretty much shows that it doesn't fit their narrative, so they don't want to share it.
1: Yeah, we really know who did it now, don't we? Just by default, because you're not going to tell us. Well, there must be a reason why you don't want to tell us, because your narrative that you spun, I'm talking about Western media and Western capitals, particularly John Kerry and the American um, uh, State Department, you know, hours after that plane went out, the Russians did it, the Russians did it. On five different tel- network television programs, John Kerry pointed the finger at Russia it was less than and
0: they intercepted communications that oops were from the day before the plane was hit
1: yep yep and now it's just it just dropped out you know i'm sorry that's kind of a pathetic uh, pun at this point but it just dropped out of the sky it's really amazing, but I guess they're just counting on the fact that, first of all, anything that Russia does must be evil. Okay, that's what they're counting on. This is what's really painful for me: is that I was brought up in the United States, and I went to Eastern Europe when I was twenty, twenty-one, and then I started living in, in Russia in my thirties. Uh, and when I came here, I was Russophobic, Russophobic very much, because I was taught to be. And then after after about two two years of living here, I just realized we were afraid of this place why it's not threatening at all but see they just keep playing upon that tradition that we were brought up with and it's really powerful it's it's like heroin it really is and when you go through the withdrawal everything you you realize everything you've been told is a lie that's it it's a bad experience
0: you just need to watch rocky 3 a few more times that's what your problem is peter Oh man! <laughs> or was it Rocky Four? Maybe
1: I think it was Four. But I mean, Russians to this day always don't like to say, "I remember the ending. Remember the ending." Was that little Bin Laden that you guys invented, or something like that? It's hilarious. Yeah, but see, this is what it's all about.
0: Well, in Rambo, one of the Rambo's, they were. I'm sorry. One the, in one of the Rambo's, they were helping the Mujahideen in the film.
1: Yeah. Yeah, at the very end, you know, they're like, what's the helicopter, you know, battle there? And then there's a little kid there with the goat or donkey and thanking. Him him. <laughs> I guess they should have been to be continued, okay? But um no, this is but this is what happens. It's happening all over again all the time. This law of unintended consequences. And I have to say that it's intentional on, on, on one level. Just keep churning it up, churning it up. And keep changing the positions of everyone. Keep everyone off guard.
0: Do you think they wanted the coup to go a lot smoother? But as Ray McGovern said, their backup plan B was, well, if it fails, we can still wreck the place. And that's good enough. It doesn't hurt us.
1: Yeah, I mean, particularly for the uh, for the Americans, because there's almost no downside when you look at Ukraine, right? I mean, they're not worried about oranges and, and, and cabbage, right? They're not. Um, but a lot of Europeans are in the, in the Europeans with the just a very, very fragile economy in the EU, very fragile. And then having this come along, um, this is really bad news. Uh, but for the average American consumer, they're not going to hear anything about it whatsoever because they don't even have real fruit and vegetables anymore, okay? So you um, don't have to worry about
0: it. Well, Monsanto was buying grain elevators before the coup began. So somebody knew something.
1: Just pick away. It's not even a corpse yet, and just start picking away at it. Just like Hunter, you know, uh, um, uh, the the son of the vice president. Okay, he's you know, Hunter is out there going to get all the gas and uh, oil uh, contracts too. It's it's so pathetic. It's it's really really pathetic being an American sometimes here and explaining to people what uh, what the U.S. government's trying to do. Which I always say, I don't really know what they're trying to do, but they're really screwing everything up. And it's, it's an interesting thing too, is that. The animosity towards the United States in Russia right now is very high. I've seen it in the amount of time that I've lived here, and just they keep asking me, "Why are you guys so arrogant? Why are you so pushy? Why don't you want to talk to people? Why can't you communicate like adults with people instead of just forcing, forcing all the time?" And I said, "That's our that's our genetic code when it comes to foreign policy." particularly since the end of the Cold War. This, this These victory laps, they're still taking them. It's really it's morbid.
0: Well, I think a monster was created during World War II because unlike Europe and Asia, who destroyed themselves, the U.S. didn't lose any cities. They weren't taken over. They didn't really suffer or see the reality of war the way the European and Asian continents in Africa did. And so they just continued this machine. It was um, an emergency situation where weapons companies got a lot of support and money and they never let go. They went right into the war in Korea after that. They had conflict after conflict all the way up until uh, this recent reinvasion of Iraq. So I think for a lot of these strategists, it's just a game. It's an intellectual puzzle on how to steal from people and murder people, and they don't see the real human cost of what they're doing, and they don't care.
1: But it's really remarkable, you're right, you're right, but you know what? The U.S. military can't win wars anymore. It's really interesting. Look at it. You can't win. All of the billions and billions of dollars. Uh, what? What's the latest estimate that Iraq costs tr- $3 trillion in the end? And they can't even win that. It's a third world country. You know, this is not a, a military power. The U.S. only picks on weak countries. Look at Libya. You know, they can't defend themselves against...
0: With 13 years in Afghanistan...
1: Afghanistan exactly you know
0: but I would argue that winning's not the goal
1: I agree I agree I agree and that's why we get this fiction you know when uh, the U.S. goes into military action what does CNN do oh let's take a look at this aircraft here let's look at its specs here and they have them flying around and it's like a video game it's so cool looking and there's never any dead bodies no 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 war is fun war is a video game war is what we pay for
0: When they want to win a war against a third-world country and blow it apart, it's like Grenada—it's over in a day. But I'm saying this because the neocons have written it out and told us this is their plan. Is that the purpose of war is no longer to get a single resource like gold or tea or oil or something like that's old thinking. War itself is the resource. The more wars become mechanized and mechanical, the more expensive the toys have become, and you're talking about billions hundreds of billions of dollars in these industries all they need is a pretext and a conflict that's all they're really concerned about is protracted war but
1: it's, but it's you know this is what's making the neocons and the, and the victorian Newlands so furious is because they hit a brick wall it's called ukraine because this is a ukraine is part of russia's uh, existential security and don't bluff don't mess with russia don't screw with russia Particularly, don't lie to Russia when it comes to the fate of Ukraine, uh, because as we say back in America, "dem a fightin' words." Okay, and this is what's really scary to me, because most because Putin is a, a despot and Putin's a dictator and Putin's all this. No one in Western media likes to remember the fact or even know the fact that Putin has popularity, he's measured by um, opinion polls, you know, he looks at the polls, and what is he doing? Yeah, but you know, he just can't sit on his thumbs and watch Ukraine collapse, he can't. That would be very bad for his public opinion approval numbers, and he knows it. And that's why he, he keeps sticking up for the right thing to do in relation to Ukraine, which I think he's done a remarkable job. Under all this pressure and all this, I mean, if I'm sure he's told about it. I know his press people pretty well. I and mean, I know that they show him things like newspapers and websites and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he's a pretty demonized guy. But I've met him. He's a pretty tough guy, too. Um, but this is an enormous amount of pressure here. So, again, you know, I agree with her. Yeah, well, I agree with you, all of the examples that we gave um, about, you know, overturning governments and, and prolonged uh, uh, conflicts. But when it gets to Ukraine, this is going to be very different. I think this is what's frustrating the Washington people. That's why they go to the invasion mode so quickly, so easily, because they know that the plan hasn't worked. It's not working. And as the militias in the east get more skillful and more confident. I don't know. I don't want to um, um, brush off my crystal ball at the moment. But, you know, they could start saying, look, you know, um, we can we can move. We can start pushing them out now. We don't have to defend. We can push. And the the uh, morale of the Ukrainian military is really, really low right now. I mean, to the point where officers threaten to shoot their own troops if they don't fight. That's when you get to the rock bottom. Right. And. um, and you have the, the, the militias in the east, is one encirclement after another, even to the point where they'll say, we'll let you go. We'll let you go free. Just go to Russia, drop off your weapons, and we'll, you know, you'll get, find your way back home. We don't need to keep you here. We don't want to have you prisoner. You're not. You're not hostages. Just drop your arms, cross the border. We'll get you on a plane, and we'll take you back to your families. Okay, let's get this thing over with. That's the Russian side. Have you heard any of that in Western media? Hardly at all.
0: I understand what the US and a little bit the UK is doing because they're not as economically tied but why are the rest of the Europeans committing economic suicide is completely against their own interests they're gonna run out of gas they're gonna to have to pay more for food it's not in their interests at all to obey going along with this is it just the fear of the Americans or what
1: I think it's just the fear of the US unfortunately um, you know I mean you can I have a number of German friends good friends and they and. They tell me, and I, I I agree with them to a great degree, that they're occupied countries. Okay, there they, there are a lot of people in Germany that don't want to have anything to do with NATO. You don't hear that often, but it's true. Um, you know, Germany has lost so much of its sovereignty here, and you know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on the Germans to toe the line. And the British will do it because they always believe that they have to be on the side of the Americans to be relevant in the world. If they're on the wrong side of the Americans, they'll feel like the Americans uh, won't uh, throw them a bone the next time. So it's much more intimidation than anything else. But if you go back to the last um, uh, parliamentary elections, or this year in Europe, uh, being anti-Russia, being Russophobic, was not a a goal, a a, a vote getter. And I think that they're going to have to start recalibrating this because it doesn't work. Um, uh, The average French voter doesn't really care much about Russia. But if you're saying, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to lose jobs because of Russia, then a lot of people say, then why are we treating Russia in this way? And who cares about your you, uh, the Ukraine that you people have engineered a disaster in? I think there's going to be a, a, definitely some blowback here, particularly if it's going to be a really cold winter. Uh, and we you know, have in the, the agricultural sector in Europe, has hit very, very badly. I think there will be repercussions in Europe itself. The Americans just, they don't have a learning curve. They just, you know, it just... They'll say it's the Russians' fault and just keep pounding away. Make sure CNN and and, um, Wall Street Journal and The Washington Post keep echoing that every single day. And that, you know, from an American perspective, that will be all right. But you're right. It'll be very interesting how it plays out in Europe.
0: Is Europe just going to be reactionary? They're going to wait for the cold winter to come and then say, wow, I'd like my gas back and then react? Or might they be proactive?
1: Well, What's, what's really sad too is that again for the Europeans it's it, to the point of just embarrassment is that Kiev will just steal the gas that is supposed to go to Europe they've done it before. Uh, very, very often they do it. Uh, they steal from the Europeans. The Europeans have already paid for that gas. That's their gas. And so here's the, the, the absurdity of it all. You know, the, 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 the Berlin and Brussels, you know, in and, 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 and London, they back this junta, and this junta is stealing gas that is destined for European customers to make their tea in the morning. I mean, this the absurdity of it all, and they will steal it. Believe me, they do it all the time. The the um, the pipeline system, if you if you study it, it's in dreadful condition. The <clears throat> excuse me, the Ukrainians haven't taken care of it at all, and um, it's one of the reasons why the Russians wanted to buy it. And they wanted to buy it outright because it's in dreadful condition, and in Russia, is very dependent on the European consumer to sell its gas. People forget that side of the equation all of the time. Uh, energy as a political weapon, is, it doesn't really make any sense. A logical person will say, it, it, no one's a winner because Russia needs the money. Why would it do that? Why would it you know, um, uh, slit its own throat out of spite? The Russians are far more pragmatic than that, believe me.
0: Isn't the U.S. just pushing Russia into the arms of China, which is exactly what they didn't want to happen by do, cutting them off from Europe? I mean, this is not thought out very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the thing is, is that It's there's a number of things uh, in play right now. It's uh, obviously, you know, if the West really wants to use Ukraine as this surrogate to cause trouble constantly for Russia's uh, modernization, because that's what President Putin is all about. He's about modernizing Russia. That will be his greatest legacy for smart people that, that know what's going on here. He will be the great modernizer. And to continue that modernization, if the West doesn't want to cooperate and they want to pick fights all the time, they will turn to the East. And then the values. It's just more and more people in in Russia that I know, they like going to Venice, they like going to London, they like the Swiss watches, they like those kind of things, but they don't like the value system. And that turns a lot of people off in Russia, the bearded women, and um, um, uh, insulting the traditional family. Russians are amazingly tolerant people, they really are, but they don't like to be forced to, to accept other people's values as better than theirs, and, it, and it's, it's getting a lot of traction in Russia right now. You know, The Chinese don't push any agenda on anybody, they just want trade, I mean they're mercenaries when it comes to trade and they're good at it, but they don't have any package deal. And the Russians prefer, have a lot more comfort with that. That's why they can deal with countries in the Middle East a lot easier, because they don't bring any this agenda that, uh, along, uh, along with them. Um, and, and, and Russia just is much more um, um, uh, you know, hands-off when it comes to those things, but they want their values and lifestyle to be uh, respected. Europe doesn't do that. Europe looks down on Russia, and they don't, Russians are, pro, are a proud people. They don't like that.
0: You know, Europeans look down on everyone. Americans are very pushy with the value system as well.
1: Yeah, but it, it's hypocritical, okay, all, all the time. I mean, you know, you know, boycotting the Sochi games because of a ridiculous law about um, the protection of minors in Russia when it comes to um, um, uh, uh, non-traditional uh, um, uh, marriages and, and relationships and whatnot. But and they, at the same time, so it's yeah, but then Saudi Arabia is one of the America's greatest allies, and they behead people for that kind of thing. It's just extraordinarily hypocritical, and that really irks a lot of people right here. You use all these fake, uh, fake foreign policy agendas. When, you, when there are states in the United States, you know the, the, the Russian law, you, you know, your, your listeners might find this curious, the, the the that the law on um, this anti-gay law, as it's called, it's a direct translation from laws coming from the United States. It's not even a, a uniquely Russian law. A lawmaker saw it, could speak English, and said, hey, we ought to have that, and they wrote it into Russian. It comes from the United States, you know, like Alabama or something like that.
0: Well, the U.S.'s own states, like Kansas, have far worse laws, and they're not from way back in the day. They're from modern times.
1: Yeah, but that's, you know, I always say, and I I like to, as I explain to my Russian friends, I mean, there's a certain um, uh, um, cultural war being fought out in the United States, and it's peculiar to the United States, and I like to think of myself as a tolerant person. I'm not against gay people. I am not at all. People make their own choices. What I don't like is it always being it has to be equal to everything else. And I said, no, that's not true. I have my value system. They're not exactly the same, but I'm not going to deny someone their right to be with someone. That's their business. okay? And it should be respected under law, like with medical insurance and inheritance and things like that. But don't tell me it's exactly the same thing. And, and, and then when the United States turns around and, and says to everybody in the world, you know, um, uh, we, we're going to um, punish you and sanction you and humiliate you because you don't have the same opinion as the U.S. State Department. then that's just, that's wrong, okay? And, and, and people see it as being wrong, particularly when there are other countries around the world that are, that, um, are uh, um, uh, fantastically homophobic and the United States never says a word about it. Okay, let's call it hypocrisy.
0: Well, I'll give you a nice cultural example. Here in Japan, uh, families bathe with their children, communally, all in the bathtub together. They also have communal baths that you don't have to go to, but they're available because nudity just isn't as big of a deal. However, in the U.S., that would be illegal. If you took a bath with your child after the age, what I don't know what the line is, five, six, seven, something like that, you could be accused of pedophilia, even though it's your own son or daughter. And yet in Asia, there are not 120 million pedophile Japanese people. They just take a bath. It's natural, and it's not thought of in a sexual way. But I think there might be a little bit of projecting from the folks who are accusing everybody of being pedophiles or whatever. Or having There's a lot of problems with sexuality in the West. Why in the world would sex be the first thing on your mind when you're talking about giving kids a bath?
1: In my value system, too, and, and, and I think that one has to um, serve by example and not with a big mouth. Um, you see how other people live you, know, you can and, and traditions change you know let 's not have everything in cement some they are good traditions, sometimes there are bad ones, um, but you know in your community, you have to deal with those issues, and I really believe it 's very local here. But I think there's common sense, common sense you would condemn uh, um, the, the tyrannical rule of the House of Saud, I mean, by any definition of of, uh, of society. And But no, you won't get that. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? You're not supposed to say bad things about Israel and Western media, but you're not supposed to say anything about Saudi Arabia.
0: Well, certainly. And anytime someone defends culture, the pseudo counter argument is to say, ah, so just cultural relativism, nothing's ever right or wrong. And I'll just throw some David Hume at that. You know, you pick a particular aim at the goal, and that which does not lead to creating the goal, which you stated within your own value system was your target, is therefore wrong. Saudi Arabia is a great example. I mean, they don't even let women drive cars. It's a horrible society. It's totally unjustifiable because the rationalizations for it stem back to fictional stories about magical creatures and things i could care less if someone's gay or not or asexual or hypersexual or whatever just don't have the state picking a winner and loser in the marketplace of ideas and enforcing one over all the others
1: exactly and the same thing in russia the, the banya culture uh um, in the winter the, when people go out to the banya and it's really hot and in, you know, there's a lot of nudity. There's you know, some drinking. You shouldn't drink in those conditions, but people do it anyway. And it's not sexual at all. It's ab- about the celebration of winter and being um, getting warm, being cleansed. There's a, there's a real cleansing element to it all. And but when people see you know pictures of it, they instantly think one thing, and they're projecting. They're projecting their you know dirty mind onto somebody else.
0: Let me give another example. There was a five-year-old Native American boy in Texas who went to his first day of school, and the principal had him return home because they said his hair is too long and that boys should have short hair. Yeah,
1: I saw that. You know, it's but at the same time in California, if I if I get my facts correct here, um, it's already gone down to elementary school where you you know it's optional what toilet you you can go to the boys' room or the girls' room, irrespective of your gender, and then you won't let a boy, uh, a Native a Native American boy that, that part of their culture and tradition is to have long hair. I mean, you and I, when we think of you know a kind of a stereotype of an Indian, yeah, you know, I think of an Indian they have long hair, right? I mean, that's
0: it's one thing to say this is a boy this is a girl based on organs that's perfectly fine and anyone trying to deny that's a little fruit Loopy but then to start ascribing fashion styles and things particularly to males are all this way and think this way behavioral patterns to DNA saying, oh well, girls have long hair boys have short hair especially when that's not even true in the Native American culture and he's parents were good and saying hey look this is our tradition and this is how he wants to look and it's his hair by the way you shouldn't send him home for something like that but people tend to be one or the other they either want extreme rigid rules where they ascribe behavior to where like you have to if you're black you gotta talk black and you gotta dress black and be like what the hell does that even mean what is it so if someone's speaking a different way they're acting white That kind of stuff is ridiculous, as is on the other side where they say there's no borders, even when somebody clearly has a penis and you are saying, well, he's not a boy if he doesn't think he's a boy. No, you're a boy if you're a boy. And there's nothing prejudiced about that. But they're so scared of judgment that they can't even make clear common sense judgments. Whereas on the other side, they're absolutely the opposite, wacky in the other direction. So much stupidity going around. Even if he wasn't Native American, it still doesn't matter. Who cares if his hair is long? I guarantee they didn't send any girls home for having short hair if that happened to be the case.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, I, I guess this the humiliation and then degradation of Native Americans just continues. Just continues to this day. It's really quite extraordinary. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Is it it's it's almost turned upside down. I mean, I look at a young a young boy like that. He has a strong cultural identity and tradition. I was brought up with McDonald's and Madonna and and Rice Krispies and peanut butter. You know, I mean, well, I don't have a great cultural heritage. Okay, so I'm kind of envious of that young boy. <laughs>
0: Well, it was good of him, his parents to not cut his hair and stick to their guns, but then the principal actually said, because they braided his hair, can you tuck it in his shirt? And they said, no, we're not going to tuck his hair in his shirt. He needs to go to school. I mean, this was this kid's first first day of school ever that he'll ever have in his life. And he was sent home because of his hair. How's that going to make him feel for the rest of his educational career? How the principal sent him home for how he looks because he looks like an Indian. And then... And then they were like, well, go prove you're Native American. So they go get proof of how they are genetically. Well, you're a special category now, and you might be exempt and allowed to have this kind of haircut. It's totally ridiculous. He ought to put ribbons in it just to mess with them. Or maybe point to, I don't know, the dollar or the nickel or any of our founding fathers who had long hair. Or Ben Franklin on the $100 bill and say... What are these? A bunch of sissies too? Are these little girls too? Not that women are sissies, but that's the worldview view of the Texas principle. Well, it
1: just shows that attitudes. I mean, it's again, like you said earlier, it's just very selective. There are some things that they're very selective about. You know, a Native American um, uh, boy. Uh, has long hair, probably in a ponytail, which I, I said I would imagine. Um, and, and then um, uh, you have these uh, uh, have this young girls saying they've decided that they're boy, oh, no, a boys that decided that they're girls. Okay, and everybody in society has to say, okay, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Uh, and I would turn around and say, no, <laughs> there's only two genders. There's one, one male and female. Now, don't tell me. In your value system that this is this and this is this, no. Common sense usually rules. You're a boy or a girl, okay? And take it from there. But don't tell me that you're, uh, you know, uh, what is it uh, Google has now or Facebook has now? Like 70?
0: Well, the U.S. is obsessed with categories, and there's a lot of... uh ethnic pride and sense of kind of nationalism because they ascribe behaviors and things to where they're from and even with zip codes they do silly stuff like that but i live abroad and i have just experienced a lot more personal freedom since i moved than when i lived in the u.s and i was wondering what your experience has been uh because you've been living abroad for a long time and contrasting that with the U.S. Because I'm Reagan youth, I didn't get to experience the 60s or anything. I don't know if you did or not, but how has your experience been with social freedoms?
1: It's really interesting, kind of go full circle here. In, in Russia, again, people when I tell people this um, that, are, that have never been to Russia or don't know much about it, is that... You know, as far as uh, social behavior, I feel so much freer and relaxed in Russia because I'm not, in America I always felt like, you know, at a certain age you have to do a certain thing, you have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, earn enough money a certain way. All this stuff, everything is so categorized and here I'm just kind of doing my own thing. And I can do whatever I want to do. I mean, obviously, there are laws. You don't break the laws, but um, I don't do that. But I can say what I want to say. I can act the way I want to act. And I don't feel like I'm pigeonholed here. And I do very much so in the United States because I find there's so much conformity in the U.S. And if you don't conform, well, the incarceration rate is quite high in the United States, as we both know.
0: But with the rhetoric I've seen on TV, isn't it hard for homosexuals in Russia, aren't they... All hiding under every rock and scared to come out.
1: Well, I mean, you know, again, going back to the issue of uh, of, of, of uh, a gay lifestyle and, and, and gay attitudes. I mean, uh, a man, I've seen it. I've seen men walk down the street wearing high heels and a dress. Then nobody stops them. I mean, people give them looks. OK, like, whoa, that's strange. It's not illegal.
0: You're not probably going to be harassed. Yeah, but in Russia, you can't criticize the government. And
1: that's, and that's the that's one of the great exaggerations about Russia, uh, in Western media, is that it is far more laissez-faire here than you than they could ever imagine. Like uh, you can there's no freedom of speech. Um, you know, if eighty percent, I'm talking about this with a couple of my good Russian friends. Eighty percent of the quality press um, in 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 Russia is anti-Putin. Eighty percent, but that's not possible, Peter. It's not possible. That, you know, and no, there's no dissent in Russia. There's plenty of dissent. There are plenty of uh, columns in, in the newspapers and on websites criticizing uh, Putin's policy on the economy, on pensions, on Ukraine, and they keep on writing. Why? Because you can. It's not against the law. Now, if you write about you, there should be a, a forceful overthrow of the constitutional order of Russia, yeah, you're going to get some knocks on your door, like the FBI, FBI would to someone in the United States. But...
0: Well, I find it interesting that you can criticize Obama, but you can't criticize Israel. That'll get you to lose your job. I think that lets everyone know who's really in control and in charge of everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've always told people that, you know, American politics is this, you know, this um, uh, binary. Uh, guns and Jews, be careful on, on both, okay, because then you'll get yourself in a lot of trouble.
0: Um yeah, you can't criticize either, and it's not Jews; it's Israel. But of course, they paint it as Jews. That's their defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, particularly, what's the what's her name?
0: You mean not Hillary?
1: Yeah, exactly. What's the um, the um, uh, senator? Uh, what's she just came out? What's the, she's like going to be the great hope against Hillary Clinton? What is she? She's that former professor. What's her name? Um,
0: Elizabeth Warren. And
1: she just came out, say, uh, saying that she excited with Israel on uh, on Gaza. Which is just, you know, again, it just shows the intimidation, the huge intimidation of just never say what you really think. Okay, always check with what everybody else has says and just follow the um, uh, follow the uh, the party line. It's it's um, it's it, it really it, again, you know, I like living where I live because I don't have to worry about those things. I don't have to worry about. Um, saying the right thing to please people all the time. I just say what comes to mind. I don't, I don't have to double uh, think myself at work or in my everyday life at
0: all. Yeah, but Peter, you're just carrying water for Vladimir Putin, I know, because I saw it on CNN, and CNN would never lie. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I would prefer to carry water for the truth than to carry water for corporate America and corporate television. So there, Chris Cuomo... That's you know, that's my touche.
0: Hey, don't be mean to Chris. It's not like he got his job through nepotism. <laughs>
1: uh, and I got my job. Hard. I got I got my job out of hard work. Simply hard work.
0: Well, I appreciate you being brave enough to be coming on this show because, as you know, I've been accused of aiding persons in Syria from the U.S. government, which has shut down my PayPal account over this nonsense. So you might be talking to a terrorist sympathizer. The most ironic thing about that being that the U.S. government actually does finance terrorism.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote an article for Voice of Russia, and it had Syria in it, and I didn't get paid for, like, eight weeks because somebody flagged it as I was writing pro-syrian propaganda can you imagine
0: oh yeah i can imagine i'm living it all
1: right all right it's always a pleasure to come on let's do it again soon i really enjoy it a lot okay so you take care of yourself
0: (laughs) you too take those dogs out and watch rocky 4
1: will do all right bye bye